How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me, as always, is my good friend Frank Madden. We are no longer in the Memorial Day mailbag. We are we are out of the Memorial Day mailbag. We are recording this after the Warriors put a 113-91 beatdown on the Cleveland Cavaliers. I wasn't expecting uh, to see the Cavs. Well, maybe I was expecting to see the Cavs get beat, but... I'm not sure I was expecting them to get boat raced in game one, but here we are. So um, I think we're going we're gonna to talk a little Bucks GM like I had mentioned last night. Um, but first, I think we kind of want to talk about this series. And before we do that, I'll ask you, Frank, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Um, I don't know. I mean, as much as that, that game one was a blowout, it had its entertaining moments. Maybe Maybe not because of any defensive effort by the Cavs but um there were there were some cool basketball plays I feel like for a little while there the Cavs sort of hung on for a half um but uh but yeah I mean how 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 is the NBA supposed to compete with the the Warriors for the next few years like have you figured this out because I don't know I don't want to write off LeBron or anything like that we know what happens when you do that but I mean god they have so many good players they are so damn good and i mean i'm glad they're in the west but uh, man they're 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 going i mean how many championships does this team win i mean i realize they've only won one and none with durant so far but um these guys are going to be tough for a long time provided nothing crazy happens i mean i I think everyone else has to hope and pray that at some point Clay Thompson and Draymond Green don't like being third and fourth fiddles. Um, but I don't see that being the near future. Um, maybe Clay Thompson gets fed up at it, with it at some point. Um, he was, what, three for 16 tonight, over for five from three. And I mean, generally just an afterthought. But when Kevin Durant can get literally anything he wants because the Cavs are just, man, beyond a train wreck on defense, they are. Good God, it is bad. Um, when they're that bad on defense, uh, it, well, it doesn't really much matter if Clay and Draymond uh, mess everything up. And uh, I, I know tonight Chris Herring tweeted something out and mentioned, like, man, th- that was Draymond's first basket, but yet he's been super, uh, I don't even know, super impactful tonight. And same thing goes for Clay. And both of them struggle. They score 15 tonight combined. They're 6 of 28 from the field. And at no point did I think, like, oh, man. Like, I knew they were shooting bad, but it was never like, oh, man, they need to get off the court. Because both of them were great defensively. <laughs> like, that's that's the insane thing with this Warriors team is that they have four very, very, very good players in Curry, Durant, Green, and Thompson. But none of them are bad defensively. 
Like Curry's probably the worst. Yeah, Curry's easily the worst out of all four of those guys defensively. But I wouldn't say he's bad defensively. He's definitely serviceable, and you might even be able to argue that he's good defensively. So those guys can just they they can just put it on you. Period. Like like Draymond Durant and Clay Thompson can all just put it on you defensively, and we saw that from pretty much the first possession of the game. And uh, I just remember thinking in the first quarter, it ended up being 35-30 Golden State at, after one. But all I could think was, man, Cleveland is working so hard for these baskets. So hard. And then you'd go to the other end and it'd be like, two passes, maybe a, a shot fake, and Durant would have a dunk. Or <laughs> Steph would have an easy layup. And it was just like, Man, it's so easy for the Warriors, and the Cavs are working so hard right now. There's no way this can end well, and it didn't. Yeah, I mean, I think you just watch the the way the Warriors play. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you don't want to – I think it's been said a fair bit that, you know, you don't want to just try to expect that you can just do what the the Warriors do, right? You can't just co- try to think you're going to copy what they, what they have because, you know, what they have is sort of a, you know – uh, an accident of, you know, a lot of circumstances adding up. And we've talked about Steph Curry and, you know, the fact that his contract was, you know, not as much as it probably should have been the last certainly couple of years. He's been dramatically underpaid um, because he was, you know, when he signed his rookie contract, he wasn't anywhere near as good as he is now. He had the injury concerns as well. And he's obviously become a two-time MVP since then. So um, we'll be interested to see how much their side, their payroll grows um they they are going to be in some astronomical territory moving forward but um to be able to have him on a relatively cheap deal um to get clay thompson and draymond sort of before the big cap spikes and then with that huge cap spike i mean if not for that right if if the nba had gotten the the players union to agree to smoothing of the cap so it wasn't this massive one year 24 million dollar jump they never would have been able to get kevin durant with cap space but you know, an accident of history, whatever it is, um, they now have him and he seems, you know, like he's going to resign. And really the only question is, can they keep some of these role players? It seems like around him, like, like Iguodala and others. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting lens, right? Because I think as, as a Bucks fan, you know, you, you, you can't help but look at teams like the Cavs and the Warriors and, and sort of think through the lens of, okay, how do you construct a roster that can compete with these guys? And the Cavs, I, I don't worry about quite as much. Yeah, I mean, but I think it's it's so instructive, right? I mean, I think both teams, both teams have like the weapons, the offensive weapon weapons in terms of just some great individual talents that can just hurt you by attacking you, and then also just tons of shooting around them. And I mean, the Warriors that have it, you know, I mean, with Durant and Curry, and you know, when Clay's his usual self, um, you've got just three tremendous offensive weapons who can all shoot ridiculously well um and defend you know certainly clay and and kevin and you know curry curry they've tried to exploit obviously last year that was part of the story trying to get switches onto curry against lebron all the time but um but but it's just it's just really difficult and so i think you look at the bucks and you say okay well you know how how do you get defenders at every position right and i think that's an interesting interesting discussion especially in the context of you know how jabari parker fits in long term you know maybe you can have a jabari parker as long as everybody else defends um, but you know, we've talked about how that maybe plays into Greg Monroe's lack of a future in Milwaukee and, and, um, certainly that it colors my view of the draft as well. So, um, I, I just don't think there's room on, you know, a team like the Bucks that wants to contend to, to be picking guys that, you know, are going to be probably bad to 
only vaguely passable defenders. Um, so it's it's a uh, it's a big gauntlet, and and I guess we'll see. I mean, you know, dynasties have have fallen apart. Oftentimes they they fall apart way more quickly than than people expect them to. And you know, there's a reason the Bulls are are the outlier, sort of in the history of you know the last few decades of the NBA. It's it's tough to win multiple championships. Tough to win two in a row. Um, let alone, you know, multiple beyond that. So, so yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see the matchup, see how you know these teams kind of react against each other, whether the Cavs can do anything to defend this team. But by the same token, I mean, the Cavs didn't play defense in the regular season either. And I, it's funny, and I don't know how you feel. We were, we were kind of going back and forth a little bit on Twitter about this, but I, I kind of wonder. I mean, the Cavs have been great in the playoffs, but haven't necessarily been tested that much in the East. And as much as this matchup is being made out to be this incredible one, I mean, it feels like it's largely sort of a a legacy of what happened last year. And I, I still don't know how the Cavs team with LeBron and Kyrie and Love and all these shooters around them, how they only win 51 games. And I, I mentioned on, on Twitter, we were going back and forth. I forget who it was. There was a Ringer podcast today and they were talking about... Uh, I guess somebody wrote a, a Kyrie thing and they were then talking about like, oh, well, you know, Kyrie and like he he talks openly about, you know, being the man at some point, blah, blah, blah. And uh, and they were talking about well, how good would the Cavs be if if they didn't have LeBron? And this and one of the one of the guys said, well, I think they're still third in the East. They were almost fourth in the East with <laughs> LeBron. They were two games. They were only two games out of the fourth spot. Yeah, that's so crazy. that's absolutely I don't know. Insane. I mean. Let's just say this. I don't know. Like, if Tyron Liu was coaching the Phoenix Suns, would we have a high opinion of Tyron Liu? I don't really think so. Um, Probably not. I, I, I think Tyron Liu and, you know, to, a little bit we're seeing with Mike Brown, maybe, although, I mean, Steve Kerr's still around all the time. So it's not like he's, you know, really head coaching the team, even if Liu, uh, Kerr isn't on the sidelines during games. But I don't know. It kind of speaks, I think, a fair bit to how marginal sort of the effect of coaching can be uh, on basketball teams when they have especially when they have this elite talent um but uh yeah i don't know i mean and and that's really why i i just can't really buy into Kyrie as sort of like a legit you know top 10 type superstar type player i just they never win when when lebron's not i mean i looked it up the the Cavs this year with Kyrie on the court and lebron off minus 6.4 points for 100 and they have pieces right i mean it's not like it's a bunch of trash surrounding LeBron and, and Kyrie, um, and they've been his, they, they've been terrible when LeBron has has rested and Kyrie has played in their time together. They were terrible before LeBron got there, and Kyrie's the man. And obviously, he was amazing late in this in the finals last year, and was was huge and he was clutch. But um, yeah, I, I think he's kind of if if we're talking about just like the creme de la creme of NBA point guards, I think there's a reason why we don't really talk about him in the same, you know, breath as, you know, obviously Curry and Westbrook and if you want to include Harden as a point guard and um, you know, Chris Paul and some of these other guys. I just don't think he really actually helps you win that many games. But um but anyway, very interesting. We'll see. I mean, I don't want to act like the series is over just because of one game, but I don't know. I was I was a Warriors in five or six type type person coming into this, and I certainly didn't think uh, anything chain would have changed my opinion tonight. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't quite have the guts to go Warriors in five, um, and after that, I kind of wish I would have. But yeah, Warriors in six. Like, and again, I I'm trying to think who it was. Someone tweeted it out, and it was like, 
oh, so after one game, we're just going to pretend like this is over and we're just going to hand the Warriors the championship. And Matt Moore tweeted back like, well, some of us have been here since October on that front. Like, <laughs> we've all thought no matter what happens here, like the, we're just going to hand the Warriors the championship because there's just too much talent on that team. And, man, you just see it tonight. And <laughs> it, it's just funny to think, like, in the past – It'd be like, okay, we really want to stop the transition threes, so let's make sure we go run out on Curry. And then, like, maybe it'd be like Draymond Green coming down the lane or, like, Andre Iguodala, and you'd be like, okay, well, you know, if you if you get to them a little bit late, like, you can probably live with it. If you get to Kevin Durant a little bit late, that's a dunk. And if it's not a dunk, it's a lightly contested finger roll. <laughs> like, like, you just don't have a chance. <laughs> There's so much talent on the floor. And I don't know, I, I always have a problem with like just thinking that, okay, now everything is worthless that isn't like the the Warriors. So like the regular season doesn't matter anymore Like because you your team doesn't have a chance to win. Like this doesn't matter. And I don't know, I always, I always kind of bump back against that just because I just don't believe it because when we were talking this entire season about the Bucks, like that very much seemed to matter. And like, there's just so much interesting story otherwise. And I think with the way the Cavaliers are constructed and I think with the concerns they would have to have about who's number two in Cleveland behind LeBron, like who's going to be their star that helps LeBron age gracefully? Because I think LeBron could age very gracefully. Like you could just start playing with power forward. He just functions out of the post. He puts on an extra 10 pounds and just kind of slows everything down. And like he could be totally fine in that role. But you need. Or, or, or he may just never age. <laughs> yes, that could also happen. Uh, right now yeah for sure but either way like they need to figure out who their second guy is so to me the like that opening in the eastern conference is still very much there it still very much exists for a team to try to step in and take control of that so uh, whether or not you think the the bucks could ever beat the warriors like they're putting together a blueprint guys that can play both sides of the ball guys that can get played off the floor in series and you have to be able to score the ball and maybe offensively be a little bit more creative and be more free-flowing and try to do some things like that. But I, I just think these next couple of years, if the Warriors are going to be this team, and, and I very much believe they will be this team, okay, the next three years are focused on how do you become the best team in the Eastern Conference? Like, how, how do you get the privilege to get your ass kicked in the finals? Like, how do you get that privilege? Like, how do you get to that point? And, and I think that's very exciting and interesting. And I think there, there's a lot there that, that is still very interesting to me. And like you said, it makes every kind of draft decision, free agent decision, all that much more important. Like, because you have to figure out, can this guy play in an NBA Finals matchup, or even if you don't want to go that far, can this guy play in an Eastern Conference Finals matchup against the Cleveland Cavaliers? Do you have confidence in that? And that should kind of be the way that you judge things going forward. Yeah, it, it was kind of funny watching this game. And, and I think, you know, for, for everybody listening out there, and, and maybe there are people already doing it, but I think it's interesting, you know, watch these games and watch them through the lens of, of, how how these teams are going to be matching up against the Bucks moving forward, and you know what you see from them, how they try to attack each other, and and you know how you would try to build a team that that is maybe not as susceptible to that, right? And and obviously having 
you know, shooting all over the court and having great defenders at every position. Well, that's a good start. Um, but that's obviously kind of easier said than done. But um, I think I think we at least saw the start of of you know a, a, a core being built. Obviously over the last couple of years, and obviously it all begins with Giannis. I mean, watching Kevin Durant run around and, and get uncontested dunks, I, I couldn't help but think, man, I hope that's Giannis against the Cavs in the East Finals in the next, you know, couple of years, because that would be pretty right. damn fun. I hope, yeah. I hope that horrible I hope that horrible transition defense uh, is uh, is shown by the, the Cavs against the Bucs. But uh, for now, important to, to take a step back and, and realize the Bucs lost to a team in the first round that got utterly just annihilated by... Cavs in round two so <laughs> in terms of you know the little fish eating the big fish getting eaten by the you know great white shark um the bucks you know at least this year playoffs uh they were still very much one of the little fish and um hopefully the fact that you know hopefully knock on wood you'll see them on the upswing here over the next couple of years um certainly the Cavs are going to you know they, they will not i don't i would hazard that just because of lebron and and the, their lack of cap flexibility i mean they're not going to get better um and and obviously the the question though is the is the Warriors you know for the rest of the league like how 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 long do you wait you know Giannis is twenty two so you got plenty of time but you know do you have to wait five years before you can even think about really beating a team like the Warriors if they keep that group together so um, anyway interesting to think about um, I guess also interesting to think about to think about Eric um, we talked in the mailbag about the Bucks sort of the the beginnings of their you know, GM search or, you know, um, cattle call or whatever they're, they're, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, as they try to figure out what they want to do with their front office decision-making. And, uh, we've actually had some news over the last couple of days. We have. All right. So I guess kind of how I want to attack this is I'm going to list off a bunch of these names and then we're going to circle back around and maybe try to talk about each of them individually in what is interesting or what storyline may exist with them. So I guess I was telling someone this on Twitter today. I can't remember who it was. Maybe Sir Garvin. Um, I think the important thing with the GM search is, again, I, you can do whatever you want with it. You can do as much research as you like with it. And this is kind of the same way I treat the draft. Like you can do as much research as you would like with this. You can go as in depth as you would like. You can make it as cursory of a glance as you may like. Eventually one of these people will be hired. And then if you really want to go deep on that person, that would be what I would suggest. Um, but if you want to freak out about every meeting, if you want to freak out about every tweet that says blank will be heavily considered uh, for the job, Go for it. I will not be be taking that approach. Um, I'll just kind of be listening to the people that will be coming in because, uh, I mean, eventually you're. I would assume what the Bucks are going to have a pool of twelve to eighteen guys that or people uh, that they're thinking about, and then they'll probably whittle it down to. I don't know, three finalists, two finalists, five finalists. I have no idea. But uh, you're going to have a larger pool, whittle it down, and then ultimately make a decision. So I, I think uh, Adrian Wojnarowski reported that interviews are going to start on Monday uh, for all these people, but we have heard a number of these names. Um, the first batch that we heard was a group of four. Um, it was it was Indiana VP of Basketball Operations Peter Dinwiddie, Denver Assistant GM Arturis Karnasovas, 
Memphis Grizzlies VP of Player Personnel Ed Stefanski and Atlanta Hawks Special Advisor to Ownership Wes Wilcox. Um, that was the first group that we heard. Then we also heard yesterday that uh, the Bucks will be given permission to talk to David Griffin after the playoffs. Um, so uh, it's wait, wait, wait. Will will they or could, might they? I guess it sounded like that they're the Cavs would make him available. I would have to relook at the tweet, but the the pr- impression I got that was that he yeah, I guess maybe it is still May. Like he may be available after the playoffs and it sounded like that was the same message that Orlando and Atlanta got as well that you might be able to talk to him, but if you're going to be able to talk to him, it's going to be after the playoffs. Um, you definitely you definitely can't talk to him now and I think that uh given the I th- I think the the window of time would be as soon as the like ninth or tenth, I think is the soonest the the finals might be over, depending on it. You know, if there's a sweep, and I think the longest it could go would be like the 18th. I want to say. I think that's, and I believe Matt Velasquez might have run those dates in uh, in the Journal Sentinel today. But, but yeah. So again, um, all we know is David Griffin isn't interviewing in the next week at least, basically, and maybe not ever, right? Because he could also just sign an extension. But, um, but yeah, David Griffin's still not interviewing to be continued who knows what the bucks timetable is correct uh and then today i believe we heard uh three more that was portland trailblazers assistant gm bill branch miami heat assistant gm adam simon and detroit pistons assistant gm pat garrity uh the final name again this was kind of kind of strange the way that adrian wojnarowski worded it but he said another candidate whom the bucks have contacted league sources said San Antonio Spurs assistant coach Becky Hammond. Hammond has no front office experience, but has been a behind-the-bench assistant coach under Greg Popovich for three seasons. So the other ones were phrased that they'd been granted permission to speak with these people, and then Hammond was worded that it was someone that the Bucks have contacted. So I don't know if that means she's coming in for an interview. That was kind of the way I took it, but when we were talking about this before we started recording, you mentioned, like, are they actually are they just like checking in like what's going on with so we don't really know but um i I guess a number of interesting things here um let's start with griffin we kind of touched on it there so i think griffin's been a name that bucks fans have been excited about I, i think pretty much from the moment that uh brian windhorse dropped him as a possibility I guess I'm still in a spot where I don't know how you really get excited about that name because, one, no one has been given permission to talk to him yet. Two, if you can get permission to talk to him, it would be after the playoffs. And like you said, that could be the 10th, that could be the 18th. The draft is on the 22nd. Uh, And three, I guess, I would assume if he leaves Cleveland again maybe they just can't work something out whatever it may be his next job I feel like is either as a GM that's getting paid five to six million dollars a year or it's president of basketball ops like no matter what he's gonna want a lot of money and power and I don't know if that's something the Bucks are willing to give up so to me that just still feels like a pipe dream have you moved in a different direction or would you say roughly the same for Griffin yeah I mean my my view is still he's you know not 
I, I just don't think he's likely to be a, attainable. And I mean, who knows, right? I mean, with, if the Cavs unceremoniously get wiped out in the in the finals, and I don't know, maybe he would be more interested in in, in starting something new. But it's tough to say. I mean, he hasn't been in Cleveland that long. I mean, that's why, you know, kind of talking about like guys like R.C. Buford or you know, like Daryl Morey or somebody like that. I mean, those guys are so entrenched. And they've been great and well respected for so long that to think that you're gonna come along and and woo them away is just you know first off again like they're all under contract so their teams have no obligation to even let you talk to them and um, so I think you know the idea like well you, they should go after him it's like well I mean there's a reason <laughs> that they never leave it's, do it and then the yeah, other team will say no no yeah. Um, so, so then I think you're you're kind of left with obviously a lot of kind of other names and and Griffin's you know the only guy probably that is like a quote unquote like big splash type type guy um, and uh, yeah I don't know I have, I have no expectation that they're going to get David Griffin um, and again like you said are they willing to pay top dollar and you know give broad sweeping powers to to the next you know team like basketball you know president of basketball ops or gm i don't know i mean i think it's a lot more likely that the next um guy running the basketball ops is going to have kind of like full control i think that's a lot more likely than to see them get paid just like a massive amount of money um but i don't know i mean we you know we could be we could be wrong um i think you know as we've discussed if you really think that guy's a difference maker then you know why not pay him a lot of money? It doesn't count against the salary cap, so you know you can kind of spend what you want. But, um, but yeah, we'll see. And obviously, I think the the other names we've seen are indicative of the fact that it is hard to get the permission to speak to established people, right? I mean, um, you know, it's it's a lot of assistant GMs, a lot of people who are you know not in 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 a position like they would be getting hired into so that's why they're you know being allowed by their teams to interview and um, to be clear that doesn't say anything about the bucks and like their inability to do this it speaks to just the general inability to do that like if they're a gm that has a job like you have a number of hurdles to jump over to even speak to those people right i mean i think if you know if the bucks end up hiring you know uh, you know, if they end up keeping Justin Zanuck or hiring some, you know, as one of these kind of like names that we aren't as familiar with, um, the reaction should not be, well, they should have gone after RC Buford. I mean, you know, who else should have gone after RC Buford? Uh, everyone, you know, I mean like, <laughs> and you know what happened? A bunch of teams probably did. And then the Spurs yeah. said, you know, we'll pay whatever we need to keep you here. And RC might have said, you know what? I kind of like what I got going on here, so I'm not going to leave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't leave. I love Giannis, but I'm not going to leave San Antonio. Screw that. Um, I, easy for me to say as well because I live in Austin, Texas, which is about you know an hour and 15 minutes away from um, the, the, the the Spurs uh, HQ. But hashtag um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so so anyway, but but yeah, that it's it's all very. Um, it's all, you know, kind of interesting grouping, and, and maybe we can leave Becky Hammond for for last, just because he's probably like the probably the the name that fits the least with the others, and that has nothing to do with her gender so much as just the fact that she doesn't have any front office experience, and she's currently an assistant uh, coach, whereas all these other people are basically exclusively. I guess are they are they all basically assistant GMs? Is anybody 
not currently employed as basically a uh, second second in command type guy. Wes Wilcox um, and Stefanski are oh, kind of stranger like yeah. things. Well, well, let's talk let's talk about those two guys first because the, they were in the first the first group of four names that came out and when I saw those names it was like a total like wah wah type type moment for me because First off, Stefanski's, you know, worked with Rod Thorne. He was in uh, New Jersey when Jason Kidd was there. He's just kind of a known quantity. They interviewed him for the assistant GM job a year ago when Justin Zanuck was hired. Um, was you know, the, there was, if I could have said, okay, Frank, there's going to be 15 names, and I'm going to let you guess one, and you had to do all the research, figure out, okay, who could possibly do this, this search being led by Rod Thorne, <laughs> what name would I pick? Like, doesn't he have the? I don't know what you want to say. The best or worst Vegas? Like, he would be the guy, right? Like, no down your mind. You'd be like, okay, yeah, Ed Stefanski is going to be one of the people considered, right? Yeah, I mean, and and whether that, and I think a lot of people were concerned because, I mean, again, Ed Stefanski is kind of a punchline in Philadelphia. I mean, you know, uh, last year my my Sixer fan friends made fun of me when when his name was linked with the Bucks as an assistant GM before Justin Zanuck got hired, um, and so of course hearing hearing him a year later being mentioned as a potential you know GM candidate is you know just doesn't make you feel great. And but. also, Justin Zanuck got the assistant GM job over him. <laughs> like, did so? Do people really think, like? Because I will say this, like, Bucks Twitter went crazy. Like, I can't believe they're going to hire Ed Stefanski, like, all this stuff. If they hire him, like, he couldn't beat out Justin Zanuck for the assistant GM job. Do you think he's now going to beat out, like, Justin Zanuck for the GM job? Like, no, like, Justin Zanuck is still a candidate. (laughs) And he's probably still the heavy favorite for the position. And I don't know, like, it was just so strange to watch Buck's Twitter react to it. And again, like you said, it was like a... Like, totally totally agree like just seeing the name was depressing but for so many people to just immediately sprint with him be like i cannot believe this is the kind of guy they're gonna hire okay calm down like yeah rod thorne and ed stefanski are boys (laughs) like he was gonna be considered for this job like it just was gonna happen there was no doubt about it well i hope he isn't being considered i hope he's just being interviewed just to throw him a bone right i mean that would be the that would be like the optimist, like give the Bucks the benefit of the doubt view of this. And so, you know, as we were talking, sort of saying the other day, like I will do that for now. Um, I will, I will hope for the best. Um, although it is, it was concerning thinking back a year ago when Rod Higgins and Ed Stefanski were interviewed and Justin Zanuck was hired and it was kind of like, felt like the Bucks dodged a bullet. there getting an up and coming guy when they also were interviewing like retread types. And again, maybe that was just, you know, doing guys favors by, you know, keeping their profile higher or something like that. I don't know, whatever it is. Um, but then also, to see them, the kind of guys you like, you can get them, <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you know what I mean? You like can that, interview them. That's the market for interviewing guys for positions, right? Like there's going to be some retread. Yeah. So, um, so seeing those two names, um, was, was not encouraging what Wes Wilcox being the other one, because to be honest, I had never even heard of Wes Wilcox until he created that uproar when he, you know, made some racially insensitive comments at a, I think it was like a season ticket holder meeting. He, you know, he, I guess his, his wife is African American and he made some comment about like, I don't know, like something about like opinionated people. And he says, I'm like, Oh, I know. Cause my, my wife's African American and my kids are, are biracial or something. And it was kind of like, yeah, dude, uh, don't say that's no. And I honestly had never heard of him until that became, you know, gotten to the news. And, 
Um, and I mean, again, and then of course, uh, Wes Wilcox at the end of this season basically is shuttled off into the advisor to the, uh, ownership or whatever he, his title is now. I mean, he's basically been put out to pasture in, in Atlanta. And, um, again, I, I don't know. I mean, he, he was around there, um, when Danny Ferry and Mike Budenholzer were, um, you know, obviously part of, a, the, the setup that, that built a, a very successful Hawks team for at least a couple seasons and now they've kind of receded back a little bit and aren't uh, have lost some of their luster. But, um, but yeah, Wes Wilcox, not exactly a guy that you're going to tab, uh, to make a big splash because everybody's just going to seize on this one thing we know about him, which is really not flattering. And there's not really much to sort of pin on like, Oh, he's actually a great hire because of X, Y, and Z. So those two guys, not really, not really that exciting to see in this list of names for sure um i think the other two even it out a little bit i think peter dinwiddie from indiana is just generally non-offensive like his <laughs> his resume like looks good like i'm sure he's fine but i don't think anyone is like oh we need to hire peter dinwiddie tomorrow right like that's that's just not the he the, has <laughs> He hasn't made any racially sensitive comments that we're aware of, so Correct. that's that's really a solid start for for Pete Dinwiddie. Put that one in the uh, pro column. Put that one in the pro column. That's right. Uh, for Denver, uh, the assistant GM there, Arturis Karnasovas. Uh, we I was talking a little bit to our our good friend and Nuggets expert and just generally great basketball mind, Adam Morris, and he was talking about immediately like, no, you guys don't get to have him, and I was like, huh, okay, that was a a more impassioned reaction than I was expecting. And he said that he's generally a big fan of him and his work. And most people in Denver draw a pretty strong connection between their recent international flavor um, and Karnasovas. Uh, obviously, uh, the headliner of that is Nikola Jokic. So there's there's been, obviously, an influx of talent there, and uh, he's been given much of the credit for their uh, overseas expansion and taking a, a stronger look at international players and finding some solid international players. So um, I think I thought that was a, a kind of exciting name, especially, one, the way Adam reacted, and then as I was reading more about him, okay, that, that would make sense for the kind of guy you would you would tab to be a part of your staff. Is he quite ready to be a GM? That's not something I know about. And again, really with any of this, I don't know who's prepared to be a GM and not be a GM because all we can do is draw, we can just draw lines to things that we think relate. Like, oh, Denver has European players. This guy's European. So this works out or um, we'll talk about it later but Simon in Miami like oh they found some D-League guys he's ran their D-League team okay that makes sense but we don't really know if that had anything to do with his job responsibilities or with what he was assigned or what he was doing there like we don't really know how all this works like from the outside we can only kind of try to attempt to figure out these relationships and their their responsibilities and the things that they deserve credit for like we don't really know those things but we can try to draw them and with Karnasovas it seems kind of cool yeah and gives you a little you know international flair guys well connected throughout Europe so so that makes some sense. Um, also, Pete Dinwiddie. Got to say, Pete Dinwiddie, pretty subpar haircut. Uh, feel free to go ahead and Google him. Um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like you can't walk into a GM interview for an NBA basketball team with the haircut he's got. But 
if if he actually were somehow to become the GM of the Bucks, I may have to really uh, burn the videotape on this uh, of me making fun of his haircut. But um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So those guys are kind of I don't know. Yeah, they're assistant GMs and they have some decent reputation. I don't know if being associated with the Pacers over the last few years. Uh, I don't know if I feel great about like like if you learn from Larry Bird and the you know off season moves he made last year and you know previously you know with getting Monte and Al Jefferson and trading for Thad Young and thinking that that's going to turn around his team yeah uh, I don't know not 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 I don't know if that pedigree is uh is is super awesome but um but I don't know should we talk about some of the guys that we heard about today sure let's move to those three so uh let's start with Portland Trailblazers assistant GM Bill Branch um he's never heard of him never heard of him I'll just say that right now I'll say this I'd never heard of Bill Branch or uh or Dinwiddie I'd ne- I'd never heard of Adam Simon although he actually his resume is more impressive um but but so truth in advertising I know very little about these people continue I had heard of Adam Simon not of Branch um, I know Pat Garrity, the player, did not know that he was an assistant GM in Detroit. Um, and then looking at, I mean, obviously we mentioned Stefanski and Wilcox. Obviously I know of them. Uh, Karnasovas, that was the first I was hearing of him. And Dinwiddie, same way. So, yeah, it, it, it is kind of like you said. You, you don't really know anything about him. Go do some quick research on him and see if you like him. Um, I guess with Branch, uh, just looking at him, obviously there's some – there's some good things uh, if you're working under Neil O'Shea. That's, I think, a good thing. He's generally well-respected. Um, you draft guys like Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Also good things. But you give out $70 million to Evan Turner. Uh, that's a pretty big black mark against you. Um, so, again... You, you kind of have to guess, like, what what should I give him credit for and what should I dock him for? Like, I, I don't really know. Um, thoughts that's on... The, that's, the first, that's the first question I'm asking anybody associated with the Portland Trailblazers. If they come in an interview, I'm saying... Why? Ex- explain to me that Evan Turner contract. <laughs> that, I, that's, that contract was still so probably the deal, the deal that, like, jumped out at me most just because of, like, the weirdness of, A, giving Evan freaking Turner $70 million, but also just, like, the fit of him in portland i i yeah oh, we, we really love shooting so threes we really like you know moving the ball a lot you know it would be perfect for that we got two guards who really need the ball so let's just get like <laughs> a ball pounding small forward who like can't shoot um yeah all right let's move on to miami heat assistant gm adam simon um talking with some people in miami the connection they kind of drew was that him and spolstra came up at the same time and while Spolstra went to the coaching side, Simon went to the personnel side. Um, so, uh, so I had heard like, oh, he's the Spo of personnel, which I'm a huge Eric Spolstra fan, so that's great to hear. Um, but when you read some more about Simon, like he's, he seems to have actually done some things. And when you talked about management experience, like he's he's done that. He's been in charge of their D League team, and uh, he's he's done some things. He he seems very impressive to me. Yeah, and the pedigree, you know, of spending a lot of time in in Miami where they won titles. And uh, granted, they needed to sign LeBron James as a free agent to do that, which maybe isn't you know, the recipe for success in Milwaukee, but, 
Um, the fact that uh, that he was around for that, he you know learned under Pat Riley, and um, you know the, you look at the way they bought, built the team that they have currently. Um, they found a number of diamonds in the rough, and and again, I mean, it's hard to say what what role he had, but um, he is has been the general manager of their D League team for the last few years. I think their D League team has generally been pretty good. Um, they found uh, Hassan Whiteside in the D League. Uh, they, you know, un- unearthed Tyler Johnson and Josh Richardson from relative obscurity. Uh, so they've gotten a lot of good value finding young players in places you wouldn't necessarily expect to find them. And um, certainly, you know, to the extent that he had something to do with that, that obviously would be a positive. Um, so, yeah, Simon's definitely kind of a probably, the, you know, for me, he's probably the most interesting name we've, we've seen the last few days. Um, or, you know, the least depressing name, I guess. Um, but, uh, but yeah, interesting. We'll see, I guess, you know, how much, how much all this matters, whether it's, you know, and I think the interesting thing and, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to just sort of have, and I think, um, uh, Paul Pressy 25 from real GM sort of brought this up and I saw him tweet this. It's, you know, you, you have a chance. I mean, you can just ask, you can just ask all these guys what they do with, with your roster, right? I mean, isn't that the that that's probably the most interesting thing about this is you get all these guys who are you know experienced NBA people, and you can ask them. I mean, that's the first that's obviously obviously an obvious question you'd ask in a job interview. What would you do with this Bucks roster? Um, and it's obviously an interesting question given that they all work for other teams right now. Um, not sure how how stable it is to to ask these guys sort of pointed questions about your team or their team or whatever, but, um, but certainly interesting data gathering, even if, you know, this whole process is, has been a bit strange and, um, I don't know, uh, unpredictable so far, but, uh, but anyway, um, I don't know. What, That's what, interesting because I've seen, I've seen Paul press talk about it. I've seen you talk about that a little bit as well. And I just, I'm just curious if that's a thing that goes on at all. Because yeah, I don't know. I mean, will they, I mean, yeah, it's like, is that bad form? But, I mean, but certainly you would you would have to know if you're hiring a guy like what he would actually want sure. to do with your roster, right? Yeah, but then as I was starting to think about it, I was like, okay, but if you bring in 15 of these people and you get 15 different answers, and again, they're not going to be totally different because there's only so many things you can do with an NBA roster. But uh, like in my head, I was like, all right, so you can take that that input, but then you're just going to pick a guy that whose vision you like the most and then that vision is going to be the vision you use right so like what are you going to tell this other guy like hey you really killed your interview but these four other guys they did a great job too they had these ideas like like is that something that you could do like wouldn't wouldn't that be offensive to the gm that you ultimately (laughs) hire Uh, you know what i mean like i don't know like the whole thing just kind of fascinates me like how you actually go about it what questions are asked like how you try to interview these guys and then use that information because again like like you said it's a it's a it's a strangely it's a strange opportunity to gather a lot of information but then how would you even use it i don't know it's all very fascinating yeah i mean you know if you sign the checks uh you can kind of i guess do what you want right so um so yeah i I don't know it'll be interesting um and and ultimately i guess you know it's just the the nature of the process is you end up hiring somebody that you know oftentimes it wants to do what the ownership group already already does probably want to do i don't i don't know how often you know, somebody gets hired who then wants to do something completely different from what the ownership group like <laughs> thought should happen. You know, um, 
But uh, you told but us you were going to do this when you interviewed, and now you're going to do this. Psych. <laughs> um, I would, I would be, I would be asking all of them. So, what would a team give up for John Henson these days? <laughs> what is, how does that work? Um, didn't, didn't it always? By, by the way, didn't it always? Uh, didn't it also say something about how like Jason, or maybe Gary Wolf wrote something about this? But somewhere I saw something implying that Jason Kidd was going to like. He might like be meeting with some of these candidates um, to like see how they would work together, which to me was kind of interesting. And like, I don't know, I'm very wary of the idea that I mean, I, there's no illusion that Jason Kidd is going to be a bas, you know, like have a uh, any a title any different than head coach at this point. And I would say if you know whoever comes in next, I think is going to have you know greater, certainly greater power than John Hammond did, at least at the outset of his um reign as as bucks gm and hopefully more power than he ever had as gm um but uh but i don't know it's a little interesting right like you know jason kidd getting to know like on a getting going on a play date with potential gm candidates like how how does that exactly work because presumably you don't want to come in and be like oh yeah i'm definitely gonna fire jason kidd um that's probably not a winning part of the job interview um but i don't know i mean as we've discussed like that that you know if if you're making a uh, a if keeping Jason Kidd is a you know requirement or in, an encouraged aspect or something that ownership would prefer in in their GM candidate that might be you know as you were discussing the other day you know first off a, a big fish would would probably be like no way you're not like forcing me to keep you know a coach if I don't think he's he's worth it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I I would worry that that might be something that you know people would have to just sort of play ball with when you know a very smart basketball person might just say, eh, I think we need to move on here. But again, money also plays a factor given how much Jason Kidd is owed on his extension. And, and I mean, that's a thing that the Magic said. Like we said, you have to keep Frank Vogel, and that was a stipulation for the job. So Jeff Weltman agreed to it and obviously John Hammond would have agreed to whatever Jeff Weltman would agree to that okay, we we will keep Frank Vogel. And obviously as a Vogel lever, Frank Vogel is very well regarded around the league. So that that's totally fine. But that is a stipulation teams can put into it. So maybe you do have a meet with Jason Kidd and see if you can get along with him if you do think Jason Kidd is you're gonna be your coach for the rest of his contract, which would be Three more years? No, two more. Yeah, three more years. Um, so I, I think that I, I don't know. It, it again. This entire process is totally fascinating to me. Um, before we talk about Becky Hammond, do you have any hot Pat Garrity takes that don't involve <laughs> the the year he was drafted or anything of that nature? Well, we should remind people that you know the the whole story about how the Bucks drafted Dirk Nowitzki and then you know. The idea that he like the Bucks and like oh wait we can tr- we got Dirk Nowitzki but let's trade him for Robert Trailer, it's not really how it went down. The story has always been that the Mavs would have been happy taking Dirk at six, but basically Don Nelson knew that he could basically wait um, and probably get him later, and so he was. I mean, effectively, Dirk was always going to be a Mav, but on the way to that happening, he swindled the Bucks out of as it turned out Pat Garrity um, because he got the Bucks to trade up to number six. Take Robert Trailer, rest in peace, and then also get um, Pat Garrity going to to Dallas in that trade. And I think the funny story, I think Marcus Johnson's talked about it. How I think he did something similar. I think he he also did something similar with. I want to say he like convinced somebody that 
was it Greg Kelser, who I think is the I think he's the Pistons announcer now. Basically, he convinced somebody um, to that he convinced like Detroit that uh, that that he really wanted Greg Kelser or something like that. So like they traded up or something like that. And then he, uh, basically he, he traded back. Yeah. Let's see. Cause he was picked in the, um, in the 1979 draft. Um, so it, it, anyway, Don Nelson has a history of, of swindling people out of, uh, extra value and still getting his guy later in the he's draft. A trickster. He's a trickster. He's a trickster. But, um, but yeah, anyway, Pat Garrity, I have no opinion. And he's that sums right. up our opinions on Pat. Garrity. Yeah. Okay. Pat totally Garrity, Pat, Pat Garrity has been in Detroit the last couple of years. Is that a good thing? I, by the way, I was listening to uh, the Dunked On podcast, and they had Dan Feldman from Piss and Powered, or formerly of Piss and Powered, now of NBC Sports, and um, and Dan's been a locked on guy too. And um, I, I didn't really, I mean, they're like really up against it cap wise, like they have no flexibility at all. And that roster has, I mean, I guess you know the guys it's aren't old, good. but they're gonna have to like max KCP, I guess. Yeah. And man, the Pistons, I don't know, like. And again, not to say that Pat Garrity, who is the assistant GM under the GM who works for Stan Van Gundy, uh, not that he has necessarily a whole lot of power or say so in all these things. But um, but yeah, Detroit, not exactly, you know, a place where you'd look at and say, man, I want a guy who's who's part of that Pistons pedigree, you know, Pistons front office pedigree. So, yeah, whatever. Pat Garrity, he's a tall person who was once okay at basketball that's my that's my analysis i'll take it uh okay let's move to the second to last name uh the one that we heard today again strangely worded by Woj, but it's becky hammond who's currently a spurs assistant coach i guess just what are your general thoughts on it because she's in the coaching world right now she's not in the personnel world so i think it would be a strange hire uh, just because she doesn't really have any experience on the personnel side. Um, obviously, she's an up-and-coming basketball mind, and she's obviously been very well regarded around the league. But it, again, it was just to me, it was strange that she would be interviewing for a, a GM position. Yeah, and we don't even know if she was. It sounds like I mean, what what was Woj's language? He said that that they they had conversations with another her or something, candidate but- whom the Bucks have contacted. Okay. San Antonio Spurs assistant coach Becky Hammond. Yeah, so I mean, it's not even clear. Like, did they want to interview her? Would they interview her? I, I don't know. But, but I mean, I said I think a week or two ago that um, I had no interest whatsoever in the Bucks hiring a, a former player who has no front office experience. And this was after Chauncey Billups got mentioned as a potential candidate for the GM job in Atlanta. And um, at least Becky Hammond has worked for an NBA team, been an assistant, and done kind of more more stuff i feel like um but man i I just i just don't i just think that you got to get somebody who has who has front office experience for me um and you know again I, i have no idea um i have no idea like how how good of an assistant coach becky hammond is i mean she's you know she's still a sitting behind the bench assistant generally she's not even a lead assistant or anything at this point which is understandable i mean she's she's still a young assistant but um i i would be open to you know if they wanted to talk to her about a coaching position that would be fine but um but yeah for a front office job i mean i, I have no i mean I, I would hazard that they wouldn't wouldn't really consider her necessarily for you know the gm job but um you know probably just seems like one of those things an interesting thing to do we know the bucks like to 
push the envelope, do interesting things, be progressive about stuff. So I mean, I'm I mean, totally I, cool talking with her. Like, yeah. if this is your like doorway to start talking to Becky Hammond, and that leads to a hire three or four years down the road, like that's totally cool. Uh, that that's a good thing. But again, like you said, I can't imagine she would be a serious candidate for this GM position. Right. If she wants to be the coach in a year or three years or whatever, um, then then cool and that's fine. And you you know establish that if you ask her for RC Buf- if they asked her for RC Buford's cell phone number or something like that, that that would also be fine. But um, yeah, to to think that uh, that she's going to be a, an NBA GM given her, her sort of career arc doesn't really add up for me. I mean, it's hard it's hard enough assessing these guys' capabilities as a GM when they've actually had front office experience but in in sort of let, let, you know lower capacities as assistant GMs and things like that to try to assess somebody who you know has been an NBA assistant and you know was a high-level women's player but I mean didn't play in the NBA. Uh, I have no idea how how well she, I don't know how well she'd do as a head coach. I have no and I definitely have no idea if she could hack it as a as a GM given I mean a GM is you know again it, it's it's what like what we discussed. I mean being a GM, I mean, it's more of an office job. You're managing a team of, you know, random people who travel around and, you know, oftentimes working out. You're not, you're not, you're not managing so much a, a team, right? You're not managing a group of athletes. Um, I mean, you, you have to make decisions around that, but from a management style, it's, it's much more like a job than, you know, coaching, I would say, if that makes sense. Um, it, it definitely is further divorced from what it's like to be a player. And I, I mean, I, I, I can understand guys, going or gals going from playing to coaching without much um in between especially you know i mean the jason kid obviously being a good example um it seems much easier for me to see a guy go from or again a woman go from high level playing to high level coaching than it is you know to make the leap to to being a a lead decision maker without any background in yeah good luck figuring out the mid-level except uh, exception the biannual like good luck Good luck trying to figure out all those details because, God, they are just so. There's so many minuscule details. Like with bas- as a coach, like basketball is still basketball, but with GMing, like it's a just totally different knowledge base that you have to acquire. And yeah, it, it does seem very hard as a former player uh, to do that. All right, final candidate, assistant general manager of the Milwaukee Bucks and current interim general manager of the Milwaukee Bucks, Justin Zanuck. And I guess one thing I just wanted to talk about with this is I I went golfing with our good friend Eric Benning the other day, and we were talking a little bit, and I said, I, I'm very curious to see how Bucks fans feel about Zanuck, just because like he's Bucks assistant general manager Justin Zanuck instead of... Utah Jazz assistant general manager, uh, second in command to Lindsey, up and coming general manager candidate. Like he's not those things anymore. Like he's Bucks assistant general. Like I'm, he still is those things, but that's not how he's viewed. And I've just kind of been fascinated by like the perception of him because I feel like if he was still that other person, if for the last year he had worked, continued to work for the Jazz. Like he would be someone that you'd be very intrigued by. Like, like in the same way that you're intrigued by a guy like Adam Simon from the Heat, you'd be very intrigued in Justin Zanuck of the Utah Jazz. Yeah, and I mean, again, from 
I think any everything we've heard, I'm still intrigued. You know, I'm I, I've obviously you know been publicly pro just hire Zanuck and kind of move on and and whatever. I mean, now that the process starts, like whatever, you, know, you got to consider these. You know, you as as a fan, as as we discuss these things. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know for sure that you know Justin Zanuck is clearly better than anybody else that that they're going to interview, but. Um, you know, I mean, I just think, I don't know. I mean, I think the hard part is just knowing, like, why they're doing this in the first place, right? And, again, I, I haven't really heard anything to suggest that it's because of some issue with, with Justin Zanuck. Um, and so that's probably why I am I still feel like, you know, I'm I'm very pro the idea of, of them just moving forward with him. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, you can only wonder. I mean, are the Bucks just sort of, I don't know, is it just sort of a grass is greener type thing? Are they feeling... You know, like, oh, we're the Bucks. We got this up-and-coming team. Maybe we can get some some big name or something. But obviously, they're not really interviewing big names. They're interviewing sort of the same types of people you'd, you'd always expect to see. But they're interviewing a lot of them, right? I mean, this seems like way more than I remember the the Hawks um, being associated with when, when they were going through their general manager search and the Magic as well. Um, so, I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to see. It's kind of hard to tell what the you know, what the real, you know, I mean, we can obviously kind of give us some, you know, the motivation presumably is because like, well, we let's figure out if we can find a great candidate. But, um, you know, as far as parsing it in, in great detail um, and, and why exactly it's happened in the way it has and with the lack of seemingly lack of a plan that they've had over the last year or lack of a clear plan, let's say, or whether they change their minds, whatever it might be. Um, it's just, yeah, it's still just kind of confusing and, I don't know. We'll see. I, I mean, I think the the most interesting question to me is, okay, if they interview a bunch of people next week, um, are they going to sit around and wait for David Griffin to potentially become available thereafter? And and that's obviously a question that, you know, at this point is, is up for debate. And, you know, depending, depending on how the finals go, that might be a week, that might be more than two weeks. So, um, again, in the meantime, the clock will tick. Justin Zanuck and company will have to prepare for the draft, have to prepare for free agency, have to take trade calls um, in the event teams are looking to deal with the Bucks, and um, you know uh, the the sort of ambiguity around how the Bucks are moving forward. It's been basically a constant theme over the last three years, and it'll seemingly continue for at least another week or two. A quick reminder: twenty days to the NBA draft. Uh, just, just, just so everyone is aware, I've, I haven't been doing a good job of updating my ticker on Twitter uh, for the countdown until that the draft begins, and the Bucks still don't have a general manager. So we will see kind of how it goes. I'm totally fascinated. I still think Zanuck, especially with the names we've heard, has to be uh, the heavy favorite to remain, I guess, after it'd be the interim GM. I guess it would be remain uh, the general manager once this process is over, but uh, I guess we'll see. So uh, that's going to be it for us for today on Lockdown Bucks. Hopefully this has been a helpful overview of the Bucks' general manager search, and uh, hopefully you have a better idea of some of who these people are. And again, like we said, you uh, I don't think we're going to be any more uh, well-educated on these candidates than you are. So if you want to go out and do a bunch of research, go for it. And if you find something interesting, let us know. You can let me know at Eric underscore name. You can let Frank know at F Madden NBA. That's going to be it for our Lockdown Bucks. Have a great weekend. We will talk to you next week.